thing connected to the thing, to the thing, to the thing. Like a true professional. Brian Douglas, welcome to the FSJM podcast. Thanks for having me. It's it's quite the honor. <laughs> Thanks. That's great to hear. You have been someone who runs your own podcast, which is in the Jamstack realm as well, Jamstack Radio, which was one of the very first podcasts I was ever on. And it's going to be great to have you here because we want to talk about things you're working on today, but also what you've worked on in the past and how that fits into this whole story of the Jamstack. I'm someone who really enjoys the history of all of these different ideas and, and projects and really enjoyed getting to know you and getting to, to talk to you about these things because you really go back to basically the start of the Jamstack in a lot of ways. Why don't we first though, before any of that, let's get into like how you first learned to code because you have a, a cool story that really resonates with me and I think our similar journeys is why you wanted to kind of help me out when we first met. So I have a, a degree in finance. I could start with that. Always tinkered with computers, never really sort of did the whole computer science or cared that much to look down that rabbit hole. I didn't focus on that because I didn't really think of it as a opportunity for me. So got my finance degree and graduated 2008 when there was no jobs. The whole market had crashed, at least in the US, and I think trickled down everywhere else in the world. So I took a sales job that IT sold IT equipment and then fast forward eventually hated that and learned how to code. Um, I had my first kid and we were in the hospital for because he was premature and I had an idea for an app. I built the app, learned how to code from a lot of free tools, mainly Ruby on Rails, like the Rails guides. There was so much content. It was like at the time of Dev Bootcamp just kind of launching. Eventually I connected to a bootcamp, online bootcamp called Block. I uh, had a mentor that I sort of connected with as well and uh, took a job in Orlando, Florida uh, to do Ruby on Rails work for full time. And that was in the course of seven months from son being born to taking a job. That's awesome. And I'd really love to hear a little more about the bootcamp experience because I went through a bootcamp and it wasn't a Ruby on Rails thing at all. It was this like super JavaScript heavy kind of front end focused thing. And when I talk to people who did boot camps, you know, years ago, the common thing is that they learn Ruby on Rails or some sort of thing like Ruby on Rails. I know some people, you know, they learn maybe Django or something. I'd be curious to know if you would still recommend someone learn Rails today coming up, or if you think that it kind of makes more sense to jump straight into the JavaScript or how you think people should kind of approach that if they're looking at some of these different boot camps in the past that are available. I guess some clarification too as well, like when I joined Block to learn, they didn't actually classify themselves as a boot camp. There were no real companies other than Dev Bootcamp who called themselves a boot camp. Everybody was like a, they called them MOOCs, Massive Online Open Courses. So like I think Codecademy was like one of the earliest MOOCs um, that were successful. There were a lot of them before then. There are boot camps. Uh, what's that? Big Nerd Ranch was a boot camp as well, but it was super expensive. Maybe you'd have like 25 people show up in Atlanta or Silicon Valley and do the boot camp all in person. That wasn't very accessible to me uh, to go learn iOS at Big Nerd Ranch. What attracted me to Block was the fact that I could do it from home and it wasn't a class-based setting or a cohort-based setting. It was you and your mentor. You basically link up one to two times a week 
and you'd go to the curriculum and then you'd meet that meet with that one person for reasons that didn't really scale to the point where block ended up getting sold but i want to say that was probably the best experience for me because i could read documentation i could do the rails guides i just could not like get over like weird networking things or ruby version management like those are all the things that you just don't see in the tutorials uh because everybody gives you just sort of like the rails the, the guided path so that that's basically that was my experience uh so it's quite different probably different quite different from what you got with your boot camp but the question around should you learn rails like is it good for you i would honestly say you should check what jobs are in your area so if you're not looking to move look at what jobs developer jobs and you should learn whatever you can get a job with because if you set yourself up for succeeding. So if it's Java or if it's .NET or if it's Rust or Fortran, like you should probably do that research uh, before you jump into it. Or if you just want to build a project and not get a job, then just go ahead and do whatever you want. Um, but I think Rails, it served a purpose. It had, like, I think it's kind of got a lot of maturity in the ecosystem. So it's not as exciting as JavaScript. So like when you're trying to sell bootcamp students or spending you know thousands of dollars, uh, it's going to be harder to sell a bootcamp student and say, hey, you should do Rails unless, you know, you're in Boston where there's like lots of consultancies doing Rails or, or New York or San Francisco. I think you can't go wrong with JavaScript, but I think with JavaScript in general, <laughs> there's so many undefined paths. And one of the things I like about both of you are connected with Redwood.js. Like one thing I like about Redwood.js is the sort of structured path to sort of plug and play and get things embedded into a project and then ship. Because I think if you really want to succeed in, in a bootcamp, you want to be able to specialize. So like if you're going to specialize in e-commerce, Shopify stuff, or WordPress, or serverless functions, or GraphQL, that's going to be the distinction of you getting your job versus the you know the rest of the other people trying to do bootcamp thing. And that's just my personal opinion. Just put the, uh, the Dougie sign on that and uh, send it away. This is my hot take. Bootcamps and like university degrees are useless for finding your programming language. And I say your, because everybody has a preference. When I went to university and studied computer science, I touched JavaScript in 5% of the modules. Have I touched any of the other languages that I got taught at university since? No, of course not. They're not my languages that I like, so I'll never program in them. So it's here and there where it's not only where there's jobs, and I totally agree with you, it's also what suits your mental model. Like C++ and like C Sharp and all them, they're not my languages. They're great at certain things, but not my thing. So it's, it comes and goes, and everyone's different. And JavaScript's that language, you know, that's just perfect because it's flawed. Uh, to that point, too, I met a so there's an engineering manager at um, Webflow now. Used to be managing at uh, Netlify as well, but they also were a bootcamp grad. Uh, they went through Hackbright and eventually got pushed to a different place that most other people in Hackbright were getting pushed into, like it was web dev. Uh, they had their background was they had a math degree and they were on the track of doing like probably professional match teaching or university. Uh, but they took like a sort of a gap after between getting, don't remember the exact story, so I don't want to name them to out them, but basically they just took a gap, traveled on the West Coast, started doing a boot camp, did the boot camp, and then they their mentor found out that they liked math. So they pushed them to like C++ and systems programming, and they absolutely excelled in it to the point where like now they do like Rust and, and Go and stuff like that. Do like 
not the traditional like bootcamp evolution of you do a web project and you rebuild a to-do app. They were building like systems integrations and there's not like proper bootcamps. Like you wouldn't learn that probably in a university, but that wasn't their degree. So like knowing like what your aptitude is, like some people love styling and design and CSS and using, pulling out a Figma and converting that to React components. And some people like connecting APIs. And like, I think even furthering on your point, like understand what you, what your ultimate goal is. Like, what are you looking to specialize? Cause if I was a mechanic, I'd probably have a specialization of like, I know American cars or I know sports cars or I know boats or I know buses. Like you got to kind of know like what you're trying to get to and what you're trying to move towards. Cause I think where a lot of people, like a lot of people reach out to me like, Hey, I need help. I want to be, I need a mentor. I want to know, like, I want to get into computers. And usually that's usually a kind of a red flag. If like, I don't know computers, uh, do you want to code? It's like, Oh yeah, sure. Computers. So like, what do you want to do with it? And if like the answer is like hard to pull out of there, like, I just can't, I don't have, I don't have the bandwidth to go on the journey with them to eventually figure out, okay, well you said computers, but you probably should just work at the Apple store. Cause that's what computers are. Programming is probably not for you, but like, I've gone through enough conversations. I've mentored enough people to know, like, I know if you're just trying to get the certificate, if you're just trying to graduate the boot camp, so that way you can get the job, you're doing it wrong. Like you should probably go in knowing that you have some sort of goal, you have some sort of excitement or try to figure it out really quickly uh, and learn that. And I think that's why boot camps have succeeded and failed uh, because folks who do do boot camps, there was a lot of like myself, career changers who kind of knew life experience and was able to like, understand what the goal was. My goal was to build an app, not to get a job. So if understand going in there, you have some sort of goal as opposed to like you're 18 years old starting college and you're just having fun, learning life, learning how to pay bills. Like you, you might not as easily succeed and it might take a little longer, but you just kind of have to be a little more ambitious. My, my favorite thing that my university lecturers always say, that I still think is a bit rubbish even to this day, it doesn't matter what language we're teaching you. We're teaching you the, you know, philosophy. And it's like, how many times do I care about the 20 different ways to sort an array? Most of the time, a bubble search is probably good enough. That's a whole module that they test you on. Yeah, and you as a, uh, a founder of a company, like you'll probably just hire somebody if you have that issue. You need to optimize performance. Like you don't need to pull up your sleeves and start looking at the plumbing of the code and figure out, you know, how to get this algorithm. Figure out which O notation is it? Is it big O? Is it little O? It reminds me of a, cause I don't have a data structure algorithms background. I didn't learn that in the bootcamp or whatnot, but I remember distinctly sitting as a junior engineer at a company and we were trying to solve a problem. It was payments and like, oh man, every payments are always kind of messed up every time we try to give people legit data. And someone in the engineering scene was like, link list. And I was like, what's a link list? And like, they explained link list to me and like, it made sense. But I know what a linked list is because of that one situation. Cause it made sense of like, yeah, you kind of want to have your records all attached to each other in a, inside of a, like a little train. So that way, if you do have something that fails, the whole chain fails or alerts you. But that was like a concrete example of me. Now I never am going to forget what a linked list is. But when you try to ex explain it to me, in like philosophy terms, I'm just like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I passed the test, but I'm not gonna be able to pull this out in a conversation. One of the things I do find really interesting 
it's going to be, it can be controversial, but databases, right? I did a whole module on databases at university, and I don't really know that much in the end. Oh, we know. I know. Tools like Prisma, they remove all knowledge of, like, relationships or, like, designing databases. And it's very much dangerous. But that's the way we live these days. Dangerous. We know all the abstractions and none of the philosophy. This is a good segue to the type of work that you were doing to get into the Jamstack. So I was listening to some of your old podcast interviews last night and learned about a project you created called Choich, which put the Y in church. Could you talk about what that was? That was the, the project actually I started putting together when I was in the hospital with my son. If anybody wants to learn about that whole story, github.com slash readme slash Brian Douglas. Uh, you can find me talking about that sort of experience and how I learned how to code. But Choich, it was an idea. I was like, we were sitting in a hospital. I didn't mention, but my son was 11 weeks early. So that's micro preemie. It's extremely early. 29 weeks out of 40 is extremely early. Uh, so we were there for 11 weeks. Uh, so for like emotional and spiritual consultation, like we wanted to go to a church. Uh, when you, but when you Google church in Tampa or church in New York, like your results are pretty awful. Uh, awful as in like, not specifically because of church, but no awful as in like, you don't know what kind of church you're getting into. You, like not every church is the same church you're looking for. So like if I wanted this type of Christianity with this sort of flavor of hymns or music and this type of connection, like there was no sort of filtration system to be able to figure that out. It was sort of like, just waste a Sunday and go sit in the back and uh, see if it's good for you. If it's not, run, like run, like like fire. But anyway, that was the app. It was basically Yelp for churches. And uh, it was a good structure to learn how to code some, something because I had an idea, which is another another answer of, to your earlier question is like, have an idea. Even if, even if it's bad, just build a bad idea. Because as you're building it, you'll learn why it's bad and you'll learn how to build it. So that way you could take that to the, the better idea next. And that's what I did. I built the idea. Uh, I tried starting a startup um, for Choich. I found out that um, it was Yelp for churches. So there's a, a review comp component. And I found that churches aren't really cool with reviews because, you know, one bad review, it's it's could like not ruin the church, but like church, they try to keep everything in the positive light for whatever reason. Um, I kind of like seeing both sides, but... Uh, so it didn't work out. And at that time that I was like figuring out that no one actually wants to talk to me about this project, I found that I could get a job doing it full time. So, but to your point about like the Jamstack, that was actually a Rails app built on Heroku. But that same structure is like what I brought to building my future projects. And the thing that attracted me to the Jamstack was the fact that there were a lot of solved problems. And uh, you, you mentioned earlier in the intro that I, been around like since the beginning of the Jamstack, which Jamstack is a term. I'm sure you probably talked about this in the podcast, but it's it's a new term applied to an old concept. So people been doing Jamstack since the beginning of the internet, like separating your database or separating your backend API to your your static HTML site. Like that's a thing. And but when I figured that out as a thing, and that it was cheaper, and I didn't have to pay seven dollars a month uh, for Heroku because Heroku that's I think it's still seven dollars a month. Uh, I didn't make that much money, so seven dollars is a lot to me. So I was I was hooked because I I could host my front end for free, I can host my back end for free, and then I'm good to go. Yeah, that's funny what you're saying about the Yelp for 
church because this is kind of how Redwood started is Tom wanted to make a Yelp for children's playgrounds and that was Der Spielplatz and that was like the kind of test repo that eventually led to what became Redwood which is which is pretty funny. I like to to hone in on what you were saying about how you started with the the rails and then you kind of went more into the Jamstack area and I think a lot of this is just the connection of where you're working and who you're working with. So I'd be really curious to know how you first met Matt Billman and how he kind of fits into this story. I, from the beginning of my journey to programming, I started a blog and I would, I'd write a blog, like a blog post two to three times a, a week, just on like, if I learned to get stash, I'd go write a blog post about it. Or if I learned how to do geolocation with the rails gem, I'd write a blog post on it because I just wanted to remember how to do it next time I had to do it again, uh, which again goes back to the point of like, I just wanted to learn the bad idea so that way I can build enough structure to learn how to do it the right way uh, for work or for my next thing. And uh, so I that blog itself, I hosted on DivShot uh, and DivShot's no longer around. It got purchased by Firebase, <laughs> who then got purchased by Google. It's now Firebase Deploy. But the, the real story is DivShot got purchased by Firebase they told everybody, hey, in three months, you got to take all your stuff off, go migrate somewhere else. And at that time, I was pretty new to programming, only a couple years in, had never done any migration of anything ever. I put stuff on stuff. It lived there forever. I paid the domain every year and just every year for three years. And it just sort of worked. And when it was like, hey, you need to move your stuff, I was like, wow, I don't even know how to even begin. Even though at the end of the day, it was just a static site. It was an Ember site. And then I also had a middleman blog as well. So that month, it was like a week or two later of me sort of just learning how to deploy it somewhere else and looking for other tools. I tried Heroku, but it seemed like kind of silly to pay $7 a month for that to keep it always up. I went to a uh, meetup actually at Heavybit, who's the, uh, where I, ho- I record and edit my podcast at. Um, and they had a meetup specifically on, it's actually the Ember meetup of all things too as well, because I was trying to do a lot of Ember at that time, back in roughly 2015. At that Ember meetup, like the second speaker was Matt Billman, and he was talking about this new way to sort of deploy static web apps. If you have an Ember site, you can do Ember build and use a build command, which is like, at that point I was like, wow, build command, yeah, I know about that. I didn't know very much about JavaScript or NPM at the time, but I knew about Ember build. And then you could host that onto Netlify, which was a tool. And uh, I was like, wow, I was hooked. So I moved all my stuff to Netlify. I was like, wow, it just works. Because what Netlify did is they just took your GitHub repo, inferred you know, the language, the framework, and then did the build command for you, which was super helpful for me because like when I started using like um, regular JavaScript apps and stuff like that and some Node stuff, I didn't know anything about build commands at all. Because uh, I was mainly, as you I only did Ruby for the most part, and I was tinkering in JavaScript. So once I figured out I can get like JavaScript apps up and running, I started learning React as well. So met Matt, I actually even went up there and talked to him, uh, deployed my site, would run my site uh, for my blog and my podcast. Uh, my other podcast, it's uh, Dis Developing Story. And I'd host it out of Netlify, both Ruby static site generators. And would, like a year went by of me just constantly writing a blog post two to three times a week, but also shipping a podcast every week. And I got this email from Matt and said, hey, you know, we're reaching out to some of our customers and we've been reading your blog and we wanted to reach out to you to, you know, learn more about what you're working on and what you like about Netlify. And I was like, okay, cool. He's like, hey, do you want to come for a coffee? Uh, we're also in San Francisco. I was like, oh, that's weird. So I went and grabbed a coffee with them. He's like, hey, nice to meet you. We got a coffee. 
at that time they had a contractor who was doing some content as well. And they had just hired their infrastructure lead who's still there. They're like, oh, okay, we'll get coffee across the street. So we're in the dog patch where Netlify, their offices. Well, I guess they don't have their office there anymore. They recently went 100% remote, got coffee, coffee turned into breakfast. We just had a conversation about the product and like what I like about it. And like talk about my blog, probably like 35, 40 minutes into it. I'm like, so are you like meeting with all your customers and buying them breakfast and like chatting them up? And it's like, Chris was there, the co-founder as well. And they looked at each other and say, like, actually, you know, we're actually looking, we just got funded. And at the time, back in 2015, not a lot of startups were getting funded. Uh, and I knew that because the startup I was working at could not get their next round of funding. So like the entire Silicon Valley is kind of like, ah, the market had kind of taken a little dip. Um, it was like shortly after Facebook IPO'd. Anyway, doesn't matter. What I'm getting at is that it was hard to get funding. So I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting because I, I know personally that it, it, you, you're not getting funding. And they're like, yeah, well, we got funded and we're actually looking to hire a team. And we've been look, reading your stuff this past year and kind of want to hire you because you're working on the same code that we're looking to help develop our dashboards at Netlify. And, and also they mentioned Tom, creator of Redwood and, and co-founder of GitHub, also was one of their first uh, angel investors as well. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Uh, it seems like you got, you got stuff going on and uh, the job I'm working at is about to go under. So... Yeah, sure. Let's let's do this thing. So, I ended up sort of doing the interview process, uh, ended up taking the job, and switched over to Netlify, working full time as a front end engineer, really empowering people in the Jamstack. And that was my introduction into the term Jamstack because that's when they pitched me was at breakfast. And I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And actually, the other thing that I mentioned in the the meeting is I pitched them on how to build out like a developer relations plan. I didn't realize that was a developer relations plan. It was just my ideas that I was just giving them for free. They're like, oh, cool. It's like, you should do that here. And um, that's what I did. What number employee were you? I was number three. And I honestly, I, I used to say number five because I always included Matt and Chris in the number. But I guess you're not supposed to include the founders in the number. So I have now adjusted to say employee three and customer number 8,600 or something like that. Yeah, the DevRel stuff is especially interesting. This is what I've really enjoyed getting to connect with you on because I'm in DevRel also. And when I was coming up into this whole world, I was meeting people such as yourself. There are so many things you were already doing that, you know, just I could, I could see and made sense. And I was like, that's a good direction to go. But it's funny because so many people who get into this world, it's, it's so intuitive the way the way they go about it. As you were saying, it's like you never even knew that DevRel was really a thing until you kind of were already doing it. You kind of like fell into it and it, it made sense to you and you understood why community was important and why you'd want to go out and advocate for these kind of technologies. But having it be actually a formal role is a whole different thing. We'll also talk a little bit later in the episode about how this all connects to your, your current work. But when you were getting out and communicating the Jamstack and it was, you know, the first year or two that you were doing this, how else were other people thinking about the DevRel stuff they were doing at maybe similar or different companies? So I, I do have to preface this too as well as like, I never considered myself a developer advocate until like a year before I left Netlify. Uh, I always figured I was just an engineer who liked writing blog posts, who liked <laughs> talking about strategy and business with the co-founders of Netlify. I also did mention I have a, uh, I was getting my master's in business when I was learning how to code, which is also the other catalyst to build a build choice and also build learn how to code to build other projects. So like 
the business side of it, like I get the marketing side of it, I mostly kind of get. So like my strategy has always been like just get the stuff in front of the people and get a reaction as quick as possible. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we, we really focused on was like, how can you deploy Netlify within 30 seconds? Like 30 second deploys was like the focus when I was there. Uh, and they sort of just knocked it out of the park. It wasn't just me, it was the engineers, it was the infrastructure team, it was like the entire you know, 12 people team by the time I sort of really started getting the groove. But we all just sort of figured it out and we really focused on that. I didn't really pay attention to a lot of other folks who were doing DevRel, so I can't really even speak on like what other folks are doing, but I knew a lot of other companies like Parse. They basically got acquired, they disappeared. There was another company, actually quite a few other companies. They're, anyway, it doesn't matter where the other companies are, but they, they all have since moved on or not around anymore. Uh, but the one that does come to mind is Vercel and uh, the Now deployment tool. And I think the very, very conscious decision that we made at that time is that Netlify had a CLI since the beginning as well, just like Now. And Now is sort of running gangbusters of like all JavaScript heads all wanted to use Now because it was so beautiful. Like you just type it now, you deploy it, it goes up and it works. The thing is that now didn't have any dashboard. If you wanted to see your logs or anything like that, it was all command line. So they sort of hit a ceiling, eventually hit a ceiling of like, we've got all the people who want to use a CLI. <laughs> we should probably start working on a dashboard. Uh, so Netlify kept, we kept our CLI, but we over indexed on the dashboard and the experience and user experience. So instead of you typing in Netlify deploy on the command line, you're instead, you're finding your GitHub repo, clicking it, deploying it from there, you're click going to a, a starter guide, clicking the deploy the Netlify button, and then you have a Netlify site in 30 seconds. And like, though you could probably do it faster on the command line, we wanted to give that experience to folks who were not as JavaScript CLI focused, but they kind of opened up the gate to everybody else, which goes back to my, the plan I pitched at breakfast to Matt and Chris, which was you should attach yourself to a fire hose that's what it was. Fire hose was another one <laughs> that you could deploy with. You, you attach yourself to a fire hose, and that fire hose was boot camps. So back in 2015, as you mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, like boot camps wasn't a thing when I started in 2013, but it was really a thing in 2015. Like App Academy was hack, uh, not hack bright. Um, it's the the big one, the hacker school, hack something. Anyway, it's it's still around, but it was like the the premiere before uh, Lambda School. This was like the one everybody wanted to fly out to San Francisco to go and do. What I'm getting at is there were boot camps were taking off. So my pitch to them was like, you should just go to every boot camp and get your stuff in the curriculum. Like that's an easy win. If you start giving boot camps attention and free hosting and support and treat them like enterprise customers, now whatever boot camp succeeds, you've now attached to the boot camp. So I think Lambda School was. It was a couple hundred of folks in the program per month joining. It was something insane. But that's every single month you now are attached to like these new programmers who not everybody's going to succeed, but the ones that do succeed then will go two, three years later and become hopefully senior engineer, maybe almost senior engineer, making decisions at the team. So when it comes to make those decisions, like, oh, I know Netlify, that should be the easiest way for us to deploy. And it's got logs, it's got, you know, SSL, it's got single sign-on. It's got all this stuff that you would eventually care about. So you just indoctrinate all the bootcamp students. And then in addition, obviously, uh, CS students as well. And my plan was essentially, to sort of summarize this, is I would just go speak at a conference. And then every time I spoke at a conference, I did two other things. So I did three things every time I traveled. So go speak at a bootcamp and speak at a meetup. And if I couldn't do all three, I would just not do it. And that's sort of how I sort of activated my DevRel career was, 
I got a talk in React Rally, and then I would go find a bootcamp, I'd find a meetup, and I would go do those two other things. So every time I went to a city, we would just sort of <laughs> land and deploy Netlify into the, the community. The dashboard stuff is so interesting because this is embedded now in you know the Redwood tutorial. If you go through the Redwood tutorial, the way Rob kind of walks you through it is he has you go through the Netlify dashboard, not through the, the CLI. And it's because, as you say, it's so friendly to anyone, whether you're an experienced developer or a new developer or someone who's really never really developed at all, you can click your way through it and probably figure it out. And this is, you know, going back to really getting into like your influence on the Jamstack because building something like the Netlify dashboard is <laughs> you are like touching so many people's projects indirectly and so many people who have learned to code and who have gotten into this did you have any sense of how important it was what you were building when you were building the dashboard? No. I mean, honestly, when I was working at Netlify, I was kind of like, the biggest reason I said yes to Netlify is one, my last job was kind of going on there. They had very much no runway left. So I knew I was going to have to find a job anyway. So might as well do it now. But the other thing was they had such senior talent, like the CTO came from Docker, Matt came from a lot of other startups as well. And uh, this kind of, this was not their first try at it, but I was also learning all this extra stuff while just being at the company. And also like full credit goes to Rafa, who's the, the original dashboard designer. Like he is just kind of a whiz when he thinks about user experience and UI. Like he didn't have all the answers, but he actually spent a lot of time thinking about like, you know, if I click in, if I get through this wizard and click deploy or click to my GitHub repo, like what's the next step and how can we sort of take out steps? So one of the biggest things that I was kind of, um, to answer, like I'll answer your question in a sec, but one of the things I kind of really, really missed was like when you first started Netlify, you had a very much of a stack bit introduction. So stack bit being an actual company, you could actually get a template. Like also Sanity does this. So many other companies do this now in the Jamstack where you get a template to deploy. So like if you don't have a site, you can just pick a template, you could deploy a site and you can manipulate it. And we had to make a decision of removing that from Netlify because most of those templates were awful. Uh, there were a couple standouts and they were just kind of all over the place and it wasn't a great experience. So we just over indexed on people who already had sites to come and deploy. And then we, that's the other thing we did is we attached ourselves to like egghead teachers and other uh, tutorial creators and had them basically build the templates that then would lead you to Netlify. So we stopped trying to manage our own templates and let other people manage it. But as far as like zooming out, like I actually remember sitting in a conference and pitching somebody, you know, everybody asks you where you work at. So sitting next to this person in a conference, they said, I work at this company at Netlify. It's like, oh, what do they do? It's like, oh, we're kind of like GitHub pages, but if you took it seriously. And that was my pitch always. And I, I, mind you, I work at GitHub today and uh, <laughs> GitHub pages, it's, it's a great product. But that was my pitch back in the day. And the person's like, well, why didn't you just use GitHub pages? And I was like, well, because Netlify, they add so much more to it. And I have a different pitch, but I, for conflict of interest, I won't give you the full pitch. <laughs> what I'm getting at is that we would be on Hacker News. Netlify, we sort of lucked out of getting on Hacker News like consistently, like six times in one year. Uh, it seemed like every other week at, at one point, uh, just from launching features like deploy previews. And always in the Hacker News re rebuttals or the comments, you have like the one reply guy that says, why not just put a server up in your closet and then host that your static sites from your house? It's going to be a much cheaper and you can control everything. 
And I think as we are now learning, what was the, the, the latest? There was like a large conglomerate, like a, a company we all heard of, and it happened that there was a blog that, or sorry, there was, it happened that you could VPN access into from your home. So the person who was doing the SRE work from their home also hosted his blog from his home as well on the same servers that work was. So they, the anyway, the hackers end up finding a backdoor into the company and getting all this access to data because this one DevOps person had their blog hosted in their own house. So that's my rebuttal from that guy from six years ago. Of that's why you don't want to host it on your on your own because if your VPN, and it was also it wasn't even service. It was because the network was attached. His Wi-Fi was attached to his VPN, and then they could get, they could sort of cross over. So yeah, don't host your stuff at home anymore. Those days are over. Like security is serious. Like if you don't want to do it yourself, like get AWS or Fargate or not Fargate, but wait, which ones are CDN? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Who knows what AWS stuff is called? Isn't it just buckets? Yeah, no, they actually have a, a CDN as, as well. Yeah, it's the CloudFront is their their CDN. Yeah, I mean, marketing, they, they got a lot of stuff. They got a lot of catching up to do. But basically what I'm getting at is like, I didn't really have the perspective of what we were working on. The other thing is the, even the podcast. Like I talk about this in a YouTube video I just shipped a couple weeks ago about the truth about the Jamstack. Because I saw a lot of people doing the origin stories of Jamstack. And I was like, oh, I got a story to tell. And like the reason Jamstack kind of, took off because at the time we we chatted about it like should we call it jamstack this is a term that matt was throwing around with chris and they were just like yeah this makes sense but like no one's ever heard of it and like if it expounds out of javascript apis and markup like then what's the answer to that and like we just sort of just doubled down when we started the podcast jamstack radio and it was like we need a name for the podcast and i was like well it should be jamstack radio because like jamstack's the obvious thing that we're trying to pitch to get people that can be convinced of to then deploy to Netlify. We went back and forth on it and eventually like, yeah, let's just do that. So we re- renamed Jamstack Radio. Then we also renamed the the, the uh, meetup in San Francisco from Static Webgen or Static Web Meetup or whatever to Jamstack SF. And then it sort of started the cards to fall of like, okay, Jamstack.org gets a refresh. We're gonna start using Jamstack in our marketing materials. And then by like December, I started in the summer, by December, like we were full on indoctrinating people about the Jamstack and all of our content. And it was like this nice place to educate people on how to build stuff, which also kind of leaned into me going to all these boot camps and colleges. I had a term that you never heard of. Let me explain it to you, which is called Jamstack. I could do some teaching, show you how to build your blog, your portfolio, get your first job. And that was a pitch. I was just walking to boot camps after doing conference talks and saying, hey, I've got, I'll stay a couple extra days. Talk to your bootcamp students. We'll teach you how to deploy your your templated blog and portfolio site and host it on on Netlify. Yeah, that's great. And since we're going into the the history here, it's good to point out. Some people always wonder like who came up with the term Jamstack, and no one can ever give the answer because the person who created it has a really hard to pronounce name, who was just a random friend of Matt, whose name was Andreas Smornson, something like that. We'll link to that in the show notes and some other people were trying to call it the new dynamic was another popular term around at the time and um, i think that dude lost the the thought leader wars on that one unfortunately yeah i like the the new dynamic too as well it was like actually we we toyed at that being the name of the podcast as well we also modern web too as well the modern web meetup which now um tracy from uh, this dot labs yeah this dot labs they own that name and they do a lot of online content. And like, we really, really wanted to call it the modern web, 
podcast, um, but now they have they have a podcast. But yeah, there's a couple different things, and this is, mind you, this is also pre-serverless. Serverless came out like the next summer, uh, as a term. Yeah, that's and that's so funny. Like you were not only in the Jamstack, you were also talking about serverless. You were talking about GraphQL and GraphQL wrappers, especially. That's a really so. This is a good segue then into the work you're doing now and some of the open source projects you're working on now. Um, you've transitioned from Netlify to GitHub, and you also do a lot of cool stuff around their GraphQL API, GitHub's GraphQL API. So I'd love to get just kind of a little description of what you're doing now and how you see your role and what kind of projects you're also working on. My role is staff developer advocate at GitHub. So staff is a, a term that or a level that I did not hear about previously until I joined GitHub, but it's kind of popular and other, people, other companies are using it, but it's kind of like the next step after senior. And I am really focused on just engaging GitHub users and teaching them how to use strategic like features at GitHub. So one of the features I've been spending a lot of time in lately has been GitHub Actions. GitHub Actions is a, a way to automate your workflow to your heart's content. Uh, a lot of people sort of stop at CI as a way to automate your workflow, so you just want to run tests. That's a great introduction, but if you wanted to also run some integration tests, I wrote a, a Playwright script to be able to take screenshots in different browsers of the deployed application, also the staging application of what it looks like. You can also run some tests at the time of PR to see if your Lighthouse score has gone up or down. So mind you, like Lighthouse is normally what people use in production. You go run it and you write a bunch of notes and open issues. If you open up a PR on my project and the scores are, goes down, we have to have a conversation of like, hey, do we really need this change? Or can we also improve, like get the score back to where it was at the time of PR? So like, I do that on the back of a, of a Lighthouse action uh, built by Jake Jarvis and hooks into Netlify deploy previews. So automation is pretty much the point of like GitHub actions, like find a piece of something that's repetitive, the thing that you always do manually, and see if you can automate it. Any questions, Chris, before we start kind of closing it out here? Enough to fill another hour. I know, right? It's incredible. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This is like, you know, go back to the China. Yeah, tell people this this whole story, and, you know, it's it's, it's massive. The, the reason I like to be quiet is because I just derail the train. It's like, well... Go right, you know, 90 degree turn. One of my biggest questions is why has the Jamstack stuck around to you? Because is it truly Jam anymore when everyone's now going to TypeScript and that's not really JavaScript, but it's still JavaScript? And do we even use markup? Because I don't think I've ever used markup in the Jamstack. Yeah, I mean, the markup is really, it could be JSX. I mean, it could also be like whatever you want to manipulate in your your templates to be. So at the time, like Emmet was huge. Uh, like Jade was also huge back when we started using the Jamstack. The reason why we were so, we went back and forth on whether to call this Jamstack is for that same question that you just asked. Also, Elm was also a thing that was also pretty up and coming at the time. Uh, Elm being like the compiled <laughs> language from... Anyway, it's so long. and uh, But what I'm getting at is like, yes, JavaScript, APIs, markup, it, we're, we're going to outgrow that term, uh, which is why I think the, the Netlify team and the Jamstack org, which they should really create a foundation, because I think it's sort of bit, been built big enough that a foundation could lead this. But they've also lowercase the A and the M in Jamstack. So now Jamstack is no longer an acronym. 
and that was intentional. It was something that they sort of, um, they quietly kind of released and sort of shipped. But it really is because that same question. It's because it's, we've, we've outgrown JavaScript, markup, APIs still around. But I think what the real goal is, is separation of your concerns. So like knowing that it is okay to be a front-end developer. It's okay to be a back-end developer. It's okay to be infrastructure. It's okay to have your stuff in separate repos or separate folders. If you have a mono repo, it still could be the Jamstack. You could, there's ways like, I know Blitz.js is like a one-stop solution, but you can deploy your backend separately with Blitz. This takes a lot more extra effort, but it is a mono repo ex- experience. I guess what I'm getting at is like, why it stuck around. And I think it's because we went to what was actually working 10 years prior. And I think a lot of times we continue, we were going down a path, a really weird path with JavaScript, fatigue, JavaScript ecosystem, where we had like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and people are loving it. And then other people are just like, I'm going back to Python because this is insane. I can't keep updating my build system because something changed or we found out something's broken. And like, it was just like some, a ramp on ramp to like nothing. Cause like no one was building fast enough. So like with Netlify, we just went to what was working in the build system and compiling down the static to the point where I could take that static site. I have a GitHub action that actually, actually this is something I want to build is actually rebuild Netlify with GitHub actions mainly cause this is where I sit today, but I could actually rebuild Netlify with GitHub actions because all I'm doing is automating build processes. I can use GitHub's hosted runners to do that. And then I could also set up different environments in GitHub as well, which is a feature not a lot of people are using because not a lot of people are using GitHub pages outside of open source documentation, uh, standing up marketing sites. But it stuck around because it was a proven model. It was a proven model 10, 15 years before. Uh, it's instead of FTP directly into a server and get it up and running, you're now using Netlify instead. And now you see all these other, like I just use DigitalOcean, point and click to a GitHub repo to deploy to a droplet. It's a beautiful experience. And I, I avoided DigitalOcean for years because I didn't want to get into a server and start clicking around and trying to figure out what's going on and like feel like a hacker. Like that's not where I, I that's not where I sort of, um, back to your point, Chris, um, knowing like where you enjoy to be, <laughs> being inside of a server and doing Tmux is not where I want to be. Uh, where I want to be is talking about the project that's deployed and not going down. That's like, and being able to talk about it and get people to sign it up. Uh, I, I talk a lot. <laughs> I'd rather do that rather than sit behind a computer screen trying to figure out, you know, why my SSL certificate is now expired <laughs> uh, one day late. One more thing that I also want to ask about before we close off here. I know you're really passionate about increasing diversity in tech, and I think it'd be really great if you could give our listeners any sort of advice or wisdom or just, you know, how, how they could help in this mission to get more diverse individuals into tech. I imagine your listeners come from a, a number of different backgrounds, like some are experienced, you know, senior devs, other people are just getting started. And I would talk to the senior devs, the people who are already in the industry, is make yourself available when you are available. If you do have availability and like you could do a conference talk or speak at a meetup and then have a conversation, I think the reason I'm here today is because people took time to mentor me and put themselves in a position where they can actually chat with me and teach me the stuff I didn't know how to do. And that's constantly what I do is I just put myself in a position, like I've got a Discord, people DM me all day, every day about questions. I try to push them to a public channel, but they just DM me and ask me questions about like, how's this or what about this? I was actually coaching somebody on lighting <laughs> for their uh, their office. Cause like, oh, your lighting's really good. Like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I'm like, 
uh, okay, well, <laughs> let's start. Let's let's open up the Zoom call, and I'll tell you where to put your <laughs> where to put the light and stuff like that, and we'll we'll get you halfway there. Um, but like making yourself available. One thing that I, we didn't mention, but I, I work on this project called Open Sauce, Open Sauce Pizza, and we're going to be doing a revamp. I just start talk, started talking to a designer to get a revamp for like a 1.0 version because we never officially got 1.0, um, but revamped the, the UI, added some new features, but it's going to be a tool to encourage open source contributions, but also recommend as well. Because I think a lot of times when it comes to things like open source is a great place to get you started and also get a network. Um, like Anthony, you're, you're case in point right now. Um, but like getting free mentorship, free networking, just by, you know, adding labels to issues or creating documentation or starting a starter guide, like section in the docs, like that's all available to people. It's just not, not a lot of people know you can do that. So like being able to like set your projects up in a way that anybody could walk in, there's a path for people who just want to get issues closed or get their, the stuff working on their, their production site. And there's also a pathway for people who just like, Hey, I just want to hang out have a conversation, learn, grow, create the kiddie pool, create the, the place where people can sort of have that conversation and learn slowly, but then also give them the GitHub repo where they can just sort of fast track into getting this deployed to production. Thank you so much, Brian. You have been such a great mentor to me. Everything you said about making yourself available, like you have done that for me and, and I really, really appreciate that and been glad to get the chance to really give you a chance to tell your story because I think you know you you really have done a lot in the Jamstack, and so if you don't know now, you know. Mm-hmm.